Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Sweetman. This is episode 89. Um, Got to thank, as always, La Petit Chocolat, Tea Leaf Tea and Yeastie Boys. This is a conversation with Kirsten McDougall. She is a writer, uh, um, a publicist for VUP, and uh, she is a literary manager. And we talk about what that, that role was invented for her. She worked... Uh, closely with Eleanor Catton. So we, we talk about um, the world of publishing and specifically VUP and the jobs that she's had. Uh, and we also talk about her books. She wrote an a interconnected um, a novel and short stories, I guess you could call it, The Invisible Rider. She wrote that and published that in 2012. And then just a few months ago, she wrote a fantastic short novel called Tess. And so we talk talk about both of those books, particularly Tess. It's a tricky book to talk about because, um, you know, you don't want to spoil it. I guess that's that's true of any book or book review. But um, but certainly with this, there's some there's some shifts and twists there that you don't want to reveal. But I do want to. I'll include a link in the notes to my review of the book. I do want to say it's a fantastic book. I thoroughly recommend it. A great um, gothic. Uh, New Zealand love story and uh, it was nice to talk to Kirsten about about all things publishing and books Um, she references this in the podcast she is the partner and wife of David Long Um, he's a previous podcast guest so I just wanted to clarify that and I'll I'll include a link there for anyone who missed that episode it was great talking to David great talking to Kirsten they are um, one of just three couples where I've talked to each partner separately um, obviously the other two being uh, Miranda Harcourt and Stuart McKenzie and uh, Booger Beasley way back at the start of the podcast and his wife Tamsin more recently uh, talking about the head like a whole docker so fun to talk to you know either to both sides of a, of a romantic partnership where both people are involved in the in the creative arts I'm sure there'll be more um, I'll tick more off that list anyway Lit Crawl is uh, upon us this weekend so quite timely to have this um this episode coming out right on Lit Crawl. You'll remember I talked to, uh, speaking of, of partners involved in the arts, you'll remember I talked to Claire and Andrew at the same time recently, f- the directors and creators of Lit Crawl. Um, so we talk, we finish off the conversation talking about that because Kirsten's involved in a couple of events. So if you're in Wellington this weekend, uh, go and support Lit Crawl, go and see um, the things that are going on. And yeah, enjoy this conversation. It's me talking all things book and books with Kirsten McDougall. I want to talk about, I guess... The, the new book obviously and and books in general but also before we do that I, I guess I want to get some sort of sense of of who you are and what you do and why you do it and I wondered if we could um I mean I mean we've met before but like I was and I've read your books but I was thinking um you sort of got announced out as people do got announced out of nowhere like you, you have a story that's successful next thing you have a book that's released and next thing you're on the on the on the path of being published and being reviewed and yeah. reading and so forth but you don't wake up one day and write a story and it's no. successful you write loads of things yeah <laughs> and you take ages before you show them to anyone and you get you know other jobs and you wonder if you're doing the right thing and maybe maybe some of those things never goes away but I want to yeah. I want to sort of I wonder if we can sort of start with where where that road started for you yeah yeah well um like um one of my favorite writers Hilary Mantel said and I, I loved it when she said this out loud she said I come from a long line of nobodies and and I feel like yeah. that too I didn't grow up in a um 
we we had bo- we had books in the house some books my mother took us to the library but um i i certainly i don't feel like i came from a literary family yeah so everything i learned about books and writing has really been kind of um stuff i've i've followed my nose and i remember i mean i always i always wanted to write i know that um but i do remember um in the 90s I was living in Queenstown and um, I heard an interview, perhaps Kim Hill was still on the uh, 9 to noon then, she was interviewing, or whoever was on 9 to noon was interviewing um, Emily Perkins whose first mm. um, book, that of book of short stories, stories was mid 90s wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Not, not her real name, that had yeah. just been published and of course there was all this, I mean um, that book had, it's, I mean I, I loved that book, I went Same. and I bought it after that interview and um, and they mentioned the Bill Manhire course, which I, I don't think I'd ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And then I went, oh, what's that? Oh, okay. And started to connect a few dots. And um, But at that point, I still didn't have a um, degree. I dropped out of university because I just wasn't kind of mature enough. Or I didn't kind of know why I was there. And I was living in Queenstown, working in uh, frock shops and um, restaurants. And, and then eventually I made my way back to Wellington and... Began, began a degree and um, did some creative writing papers, which was great. Um, my first creative writing teacher up at the university was Greg O'Brien, because I, when I started I was writing poetry. Mm-hmm. I, I fell in love with poetry. I mean, I actually went to university because I wanted to learn more about poetry. I, I, had, I had an internship at um, Young and Rubicam and I won this um, copywriting prize for advertising. And my father had worked in advertising, not as a creative, as a soap. And I kind of thought, oh, this is something I could do, and it's writing. But the more writing I did for ads, I, I remember one day I was doing a radio commercial, mm. and um, I suddenly went, why am I putting all my creative energy into this when actually I'd like to be writing a poem? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went to university. I remember going to um, my, my partner, who's my husband now, David Long, who um, had been in bands and, and, you know, was arty. Mm. Neither of us had ever really earned any money properly. Um, and I think when he, when we met and I was, you know, kind of doing this internship at an advertising company, he was like, yes, I'm, I'm going to marry, I'm going to marry money. I'm yeah, going to yeah, like, yeah, you I know. I can stay in bands yeah, and not yeah, worry about yeah, yeah. Uh, paying then, the rent. Then suddenly I come home and I'm like, um, I'm going to university to study poetry. And he's like, oh. and he just finished a degree in philosophy, um, on his degree. And um, so we used to joke a lot about how we we're going to open a um, poetry and philosophy shop, <laughs> mm, and that's mm. how we were going to make our money. Yeah. But mm. anyway, I did poetry and um, and and a few other. I met some incredible people. I did this one summer paper which had these incredible poets in it. There was Tosiata Avia, Hina Baker, Kate Camp. Mariah McMillan, Stephanie Lash, Marty Smith, all these people wow. who had... Yeah, that's a good line up. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I kind of, at the time, I remember thinking, yeah. what am I doing in this room? But they became, we became a very kind of tight-knit writing group, and they yeah. still meet, um, but I dropped out because I don't, it's I just don't like write poetry. When I did a creative writing paper at university with Greg O'Brien, uh, the class... Um, I was in a class with Ashley, like, Ashley Young, and it's oh. kind of like, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. how do you hold your head up in the, yeah. in, the, in the morning when you've been in a class with someone like that? You know, how do you I know. hold your head up and even begin to call yourself any sort of writer? Yeah, but... <laughs> she was amazing then, you know? Like, yeah, it was, yeah. Oh, she's... I feel like Ashley's always been um, yeah. well... It, it, all her work has just been 
brilliant. Yeah, yeah, from, yeah. From it's just levels of yeah, levels of competency and brilliance building up, yeah, up on top yeah, of each other. Yeah, I isn't know, it? I know. It's quite. Um, it's quite incredible yeah. watching someone like that. Yeah. Anyway, eventually I did a ma- I, w- I had to choose between doing a master's in history, which I loved. I did a degree in history and English literature, um, and, and a master's in creative writing. And I got into the master's in creative writing, so I went, right, that's what I'll do. And I was working on a poetry kind of prose piece, which was eventually published in sport. Um, but um, one of the hilarious moments of that year, which is hilarious now, wasn't at the time, was every year Fergus Barrowman, who's a publisher at Victoria University Press, he comes along to the Masters and he talks about the process to publication and what, mm. what it's like and, you know, um, that's difficult to get published, blah, 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 blah. Um, and he came into our class and, um, of course, everyone's really nervous and um, he was talking about what he was into and he said, actually, um, Damien said, what you know, what Damien Wilkins was teaching my year. Um, and... Um, Damien said, is there any work that you don't like? And, and Fergus went, oh, actually the only thing I don't like is those kind of um, poetry prose. Hybrid. Hybrid <laughs> works. And everyone in the class looked at me and I was just like, and he goes, what, what, have I said something? And I, and I was like, oh my God, I'm never, you know, I'm never going to. Yeah. Because I, I was still was playing around so much with form and um, I've always been really, really interested in writers who play with form and I still am. I actually was... Um, I, in an event on Sunday, um, and one of the writers there was Courtney Santa Meredith, and I bought her book Tale of the Tanifa, which is short fiction. She's probably primarily known as a poet, but I bought her um, short fiction, and it's it's incredible. Like she's really playing with form in quite an exciting way. Um, this sort of lyricism and um, narrative, but it's not. A kind of uh, what you would think of as a tra- traditional short story and I actually wrote her a message and I said Courtney um, you're doing what I wanted to do years ago and just couldn't you know like yeah, it was yeah. and so that kind of form still really excites me and uh, the, another person who was really important in terms of writers that I loved and studied really hard was Anne Carson and her book Autobiography of Red which is a kind of um, poetry narrative story about a monster yeah um, and Michael, early Michael Ondaatje I loved as well, like yeah. the collective works of Billy the Kid coming through Slaughter. Oh, I love coming through oh, Slaughter. That's, that's the, um, that's amazing. the that's Buddy the Bolden. Buddy Bolden one. I, yeah. yeah, yeah, I love. I have, I've only read a couple of his books, but I've read yeah. that like three times. Yeah, yeah no, same, yeah. same. Yeah. That, yeah, I think, I think that those kind of hybrid poetry. I've, I mean, I was always interested in narrative, but I think what happened was because I have this interest in character and narrative, and and really that's probably voice which I for me means character is um is what's driven my writing all along so I think what just started to happen naturally was that I um started to write to the right hand margin so I was writing prose and that that was just a really natural kind of evolution and I think I also at some point I would see all these poets incredible poets writing these poems and they had something they had some sort of magic in them that I felt that my work always lacked yeah, yeah, and and my poetry. Yeah, and I yeah. also felt like when I wrote poems, I was being polite, and that I was um, I was kind of writing, I, w- I was being in the poems the sort of person my mother would want me to be, so it felt very constrained. Yeah, and it just wasn't it wasn't for some reason I can't 
be free when I write poetry. I, when, when I say be free, I mean, of course you work with, um, you know, you're always working with a kind of editorial voice. Yeah, <laughs> It's yeah. guiding you, hopefully not being too horrible to you. But um, there's a sort of... Uh, I like to try with writing to get to a point when I'm working on a scene or a, a piece or an idea where I feel like I've kind of let go of, of the world around me a little bit. Um, and I never could get to that place in poetry, whereas I can, mm. I can, um, can get there in, in prose. It's marvellously frustrating poetry for that, isn't it? Because it's, it's on the one hand, it, it, in theory, is like there's no rules playground. Yeah. But you find yourself hemmed in in such a way quite often you find a real rigidity to to the actual practice of it and to, I guess, and what you're sort of saying, I think, and what I identify with is, yeah, some people have a, are able to conjure a certain magic. Yes. And... Yeah, for whatever reason... And when you identify work. that that's lacking in your own, yeah. you know, work in that form... In that form it's kind. It kind of is sort of time to move on one way or another. Yeah, yeah. From it, you know, yeah. use it to. Yeah. And it's it's frustrating because um, and but I think actually what I have learnt as a writer is to pay attention to the things that frustrate me, because I think that they can that can be a kind of um, signal that maybe you're trying to push yourself into a certain shape that isn't quite right for you mm. um, yeah I mean I think one of the best pieces of advice I've had about writing came from Elizabeth Knox who I mean I was a such a fangirl of Elizabeth's writing from I mean she was probably in terms of the earliest New Zealand writers I was reading who were writing books that I wasn't being given by school teachers it was Elizabeth mm. and it was The Vintner's Luck and I, I mean I think I've read that book eight, eight or ten times wow. um, and um yeah, and, and now I know I know her um, as a person, and and she's she's an incredible incredible mind, Elizabeth, but so knowledgeable, and also she's a full time writer. She's someone who struggles with this stuff every single day. I yeah. don't know how she does it. I I don't ever want to be a full time writer like that. I couldn't I couldn't handle it. But um, she said to me, the the most important thing you learn is to be patient be patient with yourself and your writing yeah and that is so long as you're kind of showing up and keeping on you know giving it a whirl and I think there is a real one of the things I'm kind of learning is that there is a yes you need you want to produce work and you want to push through difficulty but there is a point when you str if, and I've done this in the past because I have a sort of Protestant working yeah. you know background like you must work harder yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. working because you're not working hard enough you know and what I'm learning to do is actually just to not resist so hard like kind of stop fighting against the current yeah. so much and yeah. actually pay attention to what current's telling you rather than pushing back yeah yeah and that is that is a lot about patience mm -mm. I'm interested in your um and your comment about not wanting to be a full-time writer. Yeah. Um, you you don't mean just because of the reliance of having to generate income from that. No. You mean the, pra I'm, the practice of it and what it does to you. And yeah. 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 I'm, a, I'm quite a... Obviously, there's that too. Like, yeah. earning, oh, mo I'm earning not... money is necessary and all of that, but... Yeah, but I think that even if, you know, if, say, one day I woke up and I... And, and, um, 
you know, I didn't have to earn a living yeah. anymore. I I would still want need to, to occupy yourself outside of yeah. just writing. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's a, a selfish and, and solitary thing to do. But but even outside of that, it, there's there's a a position I guess you put yourself in or a place you take yourself through to do it that works very well for some people and not as much for others, right? Yeah, yeah. no, totally. And I do think that. Um, there are just some writers who uh, build such big worlds, and Elizabeth is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Eleanor Catton's another one. Um, that that it's it makes complete sense for them to be doing it full time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that Elizabeth always has about four books on the go at once, and she moves between them until one kind of demands that she'll yeah yeah um, work work you know finish that book. Um, but I'm not like that, and um, and I for some I, do, I just need the stimulus of the outside world, and I, yeah. I like I really like I really like working with people actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as much as that kind of frustrates you as well yeah. at times. Um, you're also working in a, um, and we can get into this. You're working in a completely related field now too, right? So I that am, yeah. so that I imagine is fulfilling in many ways including the fact that even when you're not feeling up to or able to write yourself you're immersed in writing you're immersed in the world of books you're taking influence you know even possibly without knowing it at the time kind of thing you're having these experiences that absolutely are keeping you uh in 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 that world yeah no absolutely i mean um to to be honest it's been a bit of a double-edged sword um you know, um, it's, there's, so I work as a publicist at Victoria University Press, who's also my publisher. Yeah, so you found yourself yeah. being the my publicist own, my for own your, publicist. yeah. Yeah, so I'll just say, like, my relationship with um, Victoria University Press um, did kind of exist, I it, w- it was as a writer before it was as a publicist. Yeah. And then... Um, you mean they published your first they, book? They and, published my yeah. first book, and I had known Fergus, Fergus knows my husband, and mm-hmm. I'd, he'd published um, a number of things in sport by me, um, and then this job this job came up, Helen Heath was leaving, and um, I done, had done communications work and stuff, and he was like, oh, you know, would you, would you consider applying? Um, and... And I love it. Like I, mm. I, I, I love the press. I love the work. I think I love the work that Fergus does and how he has built that press over a career of thirty something years. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. I love the people I work with. I work with Ashley Young, Holly Hunter, um, Craig Gamble, Fergus Merriman, and Kylie Hodgson, and they are an incredible team. So supportive. We sit around every morning at ten and drink coffee and discuss books. Like it's kind of yeah, in a yeah. way. It's a book club. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and 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 um, and it's brilliant. You yeah. know, it's. I think that it's it's educated me as a reader. Yeah. A huge amount. The other side of that is that it has made me very aware of how low the sales are in New Zealand. Yes. How hard it is for writers to um, get any attention. I mean, I'm having to publicise these people and. I mean, I'm having a hell of a year publicising books this year. It's been so hard. Yeah. Um, and it makes you feel like you're completely crap at your job mm. quite often when you can't get any immediate well, you, attention. It's that thing of writers and and book enthusiasts, shall we say, for, for want of a term, 
it's still a very small inch of the world and you probably realise this year, for example, that you know, people are interested in all sorts of other noise that's going on quite outside of yeah. that. And it's hard to, you need a little bit of their attention because clearly you can't just keep pitching to the same people. Yeah, no, and, that's right. You know, all these, a lot of book buyers in New Zealand are, um, are writers, you know, are authors out there sort of supporting each other and themselves and yeah. all of this sort of stuff. But we, you know, you have to keep bringing in yeah. new people. <laughs> no, no, absolutely, absolutely. And it is a, it is a tiny market. And mm. I mean, the other part of my job is managing writers' expectations about mm. what their work, the impact their work will have on, mm. on people. And, you know, of course, I think everyone's dream scenario is that they'll get to talk to Kim Hill and they might be on the cover of Sunday Magazine or something. Mm. And that's just... So not going to happen for for most of us. Yeah. I mean, you know, Kim doesn't talk to me either. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, um, so I mean, she hasn't interviewed me. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so, yeah. And so, so as a writer, I I think I went through a couple of years in that job where. I felt so disheartened. <laughs> yeah, it's doomed. <laughs> what thought, I'm, what I'm doing on the side is yeah, doomed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well, just uh, not doomed. It's just no, but... tiny and <laughs> yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah. And, and I thought, why? Why mm. am I? Do- why am I writing? Why mm. should I keep writing when, when this is the reality? And then you get, you know, I mean, in those first two years that I was working there, um, Eleanor Catton won the Man Booker, and that was like a whole other world in itself. And so. You know, on one hand, I'm I'm looking after these writers whose sales are small, and it's really hard for them to get any media mm. attention. And on the other hand, I have like <laughs> the producers at the BBC yeah, and yeah, yeah. Guardian, you know, ring, you know, getting in touch with me and saying we want to interview her and what can you help us and blah blah blah. And and so like it just seemed like there was this huge imbalance. Yeah. You know, like in the ideal world, we want everyone to have a little bit of attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't happen that way. And I mean, I learned a lot through um, through um, the luminaries, the publication of the luminaries. That was like, but it was kind of like, yeah, learning so very, you, very quickly. <laughs> you became a kind of a literary agent for no I'm not I'm not her agent I um the title that so Eleanor has um an incredible agent in London Carolyn Dornay who's with United Agents Carolyn Dornay is just the most amazing reader and woman um yeah she's Mm. a total force of nature and she's Ali's agent she's been in the business for years and years um, I what happened was um because Eleanor was New Zealand based and I was New Zealand based um, and there were so many um, calls on mm. her time. We decided that I would help her a bit more than yeah. what I could as a publicist. Like a New Zealand liaison. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah. title we gave me was <laughs> literary manager. And um, at the right. time we laughed about it because we were like, we need a title that's sort of like, I'm not just a secretary. Not just a publicist. Not even though that's a, yeah, yeah. what I am. Yeah. Um, but so sends a signal that, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is the line you yeah. can't get through it yeah. um, but also lets people know I'm not her agent and Carolyn was, was like oh you've made a whole new job um, in publishing <laughs> Kirsten like this is <laughs> um, but yeah of course there are very few people that need that, that, yeah, yeah. that have, yeah, I mean I mean, I know that um, when Hilary Mantel won the booker her husband who had his, a career in his own right took over as her sort of secretary because it's just so overwhelming yeah so I mean you've, you've hinted at it already but how um, how intense and for how long how intense was it 
in terms of managing re- requests how much oh, went on it t- went on for two years probably yeah. um maybe even long i mean we still she's still still fielding has. things obviously but yeah in that mm. in that busiest period um oh it was um i mean it was just insane there were just emails and calls every day yeah like, it was yeah and, and the thing the thing is with um ali is that she's absolutely brilliant at public events mm-hmm. um you know all the events I've been to, you know, with her, there are just queues of people, like an mm. hour-long queue of people wanting to buy a book. And she buy. seems unflappable. Yeah, yeah, she is, and she's she just has this incredibly, um, she's incredibly smart, and incredibly, she just has a really original, creative, and 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 amazingly smart way of thinking about ideas. Mm-hmm. And she takes herself very seriously as a writer, um, and thinker. Um, and and she's just she's just she's great. So so as soon as so as soon as she does one event, they want her back, and then mm. other people want her, and then other people want her. So so that happened. And, and you know, I mean, the fact that she was the youngest prize winner for that prize. Yeah. And it, you know that that and was a big thing. And the first New Zealander first, in thirty. Yeah, first years New Zealander so. in thirty since yeah. Ke- since Kerry, and yeah. um, the book was the longest book ever. So there were a whole lot of yeah, all these all these yeah. little um, yeah things that help you know little entry points into different angles. Yeah, and I mean the book is brilliant. It's yeah. it's 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 kind of yeah, it's phenomenal. I must yeah. go and read it again actually. <laughs> yeah, and a non almost in a non work yeah. you know as a, as a just for the joy of reading rather yeah. than as, as work. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, like, those books, the books like that, those special books, the books that I love that we publish, I do read it, I end yeah. up reading them like that. You can't help yourself. If no. the writer's compelling, yeah, yeah, then yeah. you just fall in as a reader. You stop yeah. thinking, you know, and sometimes you have to go, okay, work, work, pull off yeah, some angles, yeah, yeah. So think about angles. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, you're trained in a sense, like, informally trained as a reader, right? Mm, you know, mm. so that's that's a big skill that you obviously need in, in that line of work and one yeah. that everyone has but everyone that enters into that line of work has developed their own ways of reading their own passions their own interests and oh, that's absolutely. all built up with time anyway so yeah, you, yeah so you easily revert to am i pulled into this story what's happening here well what i, do would, I dig yeah. about it and then you yeah. just become yeah a reader yeah no totally yeah. and that's that's the best thing that can happen really yeah yeah because it's so much easier for me to sell a book where i've been taken along on yeah. the ride yeah you know um yeah to put to push a book to media and yeah yeah that kind of thing. Yeah. and um so i guess a part of a um the eleanor catton story too with regard to you is you were talking about the mild grimness of shrinking audiences and um, managing expectations and um, and all of that and then a sort of rock star result comes out and it almost creates a little bit of a um, unrealistic buzz you know like yeah. oh so now they're going to look at a whole lot of other New Zealand authors you know the same thing happened with Lord right as the most probably the most prominent recent example of music there's a few other ones but whatever you know people think of her and her music a lot of talk was around oh this is going to be so good for New Zealand music I mean has it been I don't think it has and that's not her fault and it's not her job to you know I'm sure in many ways she's been quite a um advocate for things just as Eleanor probably has been too but that's not their job but but it's hard to 
to stop that buzz around an, an, you know, an expectation that comes that's quite unrealistic. Yeah, I mean... Did you have to wrestle with that in any way? Well, to be honest, I never believed that. Yeah. I think anyone who's spent, um, you know, even a small amount of time in publishing or writing knows that's not true. Yeah, yeah. That's a That's a kind of wishful media angle. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. Hopeful construct. Oh, uh, yeah, and, and of course we all want to be hopeful. And, you know, I mean, I publishing is dominated by publishers who live and publish from New York and London still. Mm-hmm. Um... And, of course, we we want them to look our way and take notice of what we're doing, but one, one hugely successful book is not going to do that. Um, I mean, the, the strength of... Uh, uh, writing is about that particular voice and that particular writer. It's not about, oh my god, there's this amazing writer from New Zealand, we must look at what New Zealand is <laughs> yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. It's like we're not all not factory farmed and they're gonna get the same yeah. result each time. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, I mean it's such an individual thing. So I know it's, I was thinking yeah. like even the criticism that's popped up over the years about the what was always known as the Bill Mann High course and is now I guess the Damien Wilkins course and it's the Victoria well, it's, well, I mean, it's not. It's the Emily Perkins and yeah, Chris Price yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to be, you know, yeah, yeah. No, but I just yeah. mean in terms of how it's been yeah. reported a lot. You know, yeah. you're right. But but you only have to look at the results that have come out across any year, let alone you know across the last say 20 years, to see just not only quality but like a wildly diverse group yeah. of people and and set of stories. You yeah. Know, be they poems, books, whatever, yeah. you know, all the, and, and the ventures that those people then yeah. get into and go off to. There's nothing, you know, people talk, you know, people talk negatively about that as being some sort of convey about, but there's nothing factory about what's come out of that at well, all. Well, I just think that if, um, if you seriously think that you can control people's minds in that way, then you don't, you know very little about human nature, yeah. particularly writers <laughs> yes. who are, you know, bloody-minded, willful, quite often people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who have very set ideas about how they're going <laughs> yeah. to do a thing. Yeah, yeah. And there's no teacher in the world who can tell you to yeah. do it differently, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing you learn in that course is um, hopefully a little bit more about how you should space your work out properly on the page. Yeah, and yeah. That, you know, this kind of technical kind of... Um, you know, technical craft things, um, you know, when to use double quotes and single quotes. Um, that, I mean, this is a bit silly. I am being a bit facetious, but but you can't... I really don't believe that any, any teacher in the world can teach our voice. All they can do is help encourage and pull that voice out of the writer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good example of it being coaching, not teaching. Totally. If, you know... To, yeah. split, to split the you know the two terms obviously there's yeah. a bit of a Venn diagram thing there but it's it's the yeah. coaching side of it isn't it it's the yeah. um, techniques and encouragement and mm. uh, suggesting efficiencies and you know yeah. providing inspiration and yeah. yeah it's those things it's not do this this way and don't ever not do it this way you no. know and, and I think that's why it's so good that there's you know that you have a diverse group of people in there, people coming from different cultural backgrounds, mm. different ages, writing different forms, because I think that um, as much as you might follow your the facilitator for guidance, you follow your peers and, and those those people that you can see that you're similar to or you have a big difference, mm. there's a big difference between you, yeah. Um, so, yeah. so let's talk your books for yeah. a bit, because yeah. um, 
because I want to and, and hopefully you want to but also because they're very interesting and so the first book comes out in five years ago 2012 yeah 2012 yeah, yeah. The Invisible Writer it's um, what is it what do you think yeah. it is because yeah. I've you know I, I have thoughts on it but I've, I've heard it described as a book of short stories as a novella as a novel yeah. I feel like it's bits of all of those things. Yeah. And you've, you've already talked about playing with form. What what did you hope to set out with that? Yeah. So, um, I mean, again, um, I think that the form of that book comes back to a couple of really important books in my life. Um, and I love this. I love this idea of interconnected stories. Um, so um, I was reading kind of obsessively at that time, um, Italo Calvino, and he has a book called um, Marco Valdo, which is a, a sort of um, series of stories um, post-war Italy, so in the 50s. So things are quite grim, um, but he's hilarious and quite surreal. And they're just wee pieces about this one character, Marco Valdo, and his kind of Days, mm. the, th- the the things, the crazy things he spends his time doing. He he works in a factory, um, and also um, around the similar time, um, Elizabeth Strutt published Olive Kitteridge. Mm-hmm. Have you read that book? No, I know no. of it. But, yeah, uh, yeah which um, I really loved, and um, that is stories much longer than Italo Calvino. It's more like a novel length book, but the main the main character is this woman called Olive Kitteridge, and um, some of the stories have Olive and her life way up front and some of them she's just a bit player mm-hmm. and you're in someone else's mm-hmm. life but it's in the same town so through her eyes through well, well not, not even through that, her no. eyes yeah but she's yeah, a presence. Third person. yeah 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 and so what's kind of interesting is that sometimes you get other people's take on what Olive mm. looks like mm-hmm. and, and sounds like and it's, it's apparently it's quite a good TV show too yeah it's Francis McDormand yeah, yeah, plays so um, it's gotta Olive Kitteridge I figure it's got to be good because of that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I love yeah. Francis McDormand yeah um so yeah, so there were these two books, and I I think that um, I was really terrified of of the idea of writing a novel. I I, I get really really bored writing mm-hmm. a connective tissue of novels. Um, too big, too yeah. Too big a task, I mean, like too daunting. Yeah, I think I just I think I have like a kind of middle distance attention span. <laughs> Does it come down to though too? It must do on some level. Um, this this concept of not writing full time so you're writing yeah. in stolen moments in a way like you're because I was going to say you're a you're not only a working and publishing you are a mother to a busy house full of boys with yeah. um, a partner who works at home yeah. often yeah. so I wanted to also say you know wonder how you know how and where you fit in writing so yeah, yeah. That, before we get into that that's possibly part of no, I, th- I think it is. I'm planning a to broader t- decision to you know yeah. to keep it brief, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love I love the short story form, but I do love. Um, I guess with the Invisible Writer, you know, I, I had this character Philip Fetch, who's kind of. I really wanted to write a kind of on on the sort of surface this seemingly mild mannered man who has and quite boring, like quite a like maybe if you saw him on the street, you think, mm. oh god, these are really kind of boring pen pushery type dude you know Mm. um but he has quite a sort of um active imaginative life um and struggles it's kind of repressed as well and and struggles Mm. with the world a bit but um so yeah i wanted to explore his character and i wanted it to be funny and a bit surreal um 
Yeah, and so I guess the easier, it just seemed to me that the right form for that was the interconnected stories. Um, and then, yeah, and then I have always written very part-time. I wrote that book when my, I've got two sons, when my youngest was one, between one and two, I think. And I had kind of one day a week to write. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and, th- and now I work full-time and I don't have any time to write. And so, but I've made a conscious decision to go full-time because I want, instead of kind of writing two days a week, which I had done for a number of years, I decided I actually just want, when I have an idea for a book. Yeah, I'll pursue it. Oh, and- yeah, and that, and actually I'll take leave. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Do, and just do it. Yeah, pursue it and work out a way to pursue it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah, work more intensively rather than kind of um, spread it out over a period of time because I just felt like that way of working wasn't didn't yeah fit how I wanted to write. Anymore. It sounds like you're um, actively managing the the anguish around being a you know being a being a writer when it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which which is, you know, smart. <laughs> By the way, you know, I'm not setting yeah. you up and saying that there's anything wrong with that at all. It's, no, 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 no. I don't think it's a correct way to do things I these think, days. <laughs> I just think that um, for writing to work, you need to be really. You need to be aware about what all the other parts of your life are going through, and and mm. you know. Um, it, it, yeah, I think that, for, well for me, this is how it has to work. I need to be self-aware and, and understand the um, constraints on my time and on my energy. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. not someone who can write at night. I've never been a nighttime worker. I'm, I much prefer to get up at 5am. Mm. Um, not for not every day though. Yeah, <laughs> um, um, yeah and I, I just think that really one of the things I've found that works for me is really being as honest as I can be to myself about what where I'm at and what is interesting me yeah that's what I need to follow that's the line I need to follow if I'm going to write anything for whatever I'm going to write next yeah that's the line I need to follow so your description of 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 Philip and the Invisible Writer I like because when I was reading it I I thought um because I you know I revisited it before before talking to you um so I read it a couple of years ago um I like, it gave me a kind of, and I guess I read Tess shortly afterwards and I could see some of the same thing happening in there, that you do this thing that I want to describe as like a kind of eavesdropping in on someone's psyche, Mm. you know, like you you describe this sort of guy who's kind of boring, but there's, you know, an active imagination and, and it's, I guess, there's kind of tragedy comic elements to how he sort of goes through life and it reading it rereading it particularly i thought about those moments where you're sitting waiting for a bus and you stare at someone and you don't realize you're staring at them and then you start wondering oh what wonder what that person's off to go and do what you yeah know? what's their story what's their story yeah, and yeah. will i will anyone ever know you know are, are yeah. they actually a super confident person that tells their story and i just don't know it or are they some wallflower type that would never think of telling their story in any way and thinks that it, you know and you, you yeah and all of that happens in just a few moments then the bus arrives you get on it and you yeah see someone else or whatever yeah. <laughs> and you know I've I, that was sort of how I 
I saw that character and the things that were happening, it gave me flashbacks to those sorts of moments. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, I do actually think that people are surprising. Mm. Um, and and they can really, you can have certain expectations about people and then they completely defy those expectations or they do something really different and you're like, oh my God, like, where did that come from? And I think that um, I, I guess I wanted to show someone who was quite different underneath. Mm than what they were on the surface. And also, I am a really, I think one of the sort of obsessions, and I can see, I can that I have, that I can see in The Invisible Writer and in Tess, they're very different books, mm. um, is this sort of, um, it's a fascination I have with the kind of dream, the dream life that we have. Mm -hmm. The kind of non-tangible, almost kind of um, subconscious, um, thoughts we have about ourselves and other people and about the world. Um, I always find it really hard to talk about this because I feel like I'm never describing it particularly <laughs> well. Um, but I have always been really interested in dreams mm. and um, and I guess in, in art in a way. I, li I live with a musician and we do spend a lot of time talking about what motivates us to make art what motivates mm. people to arrange things nicely in their homes um, why does something you know putting one picture here and another picture here feel right and if you did it the other way around it wouldn't feel right you know mm. what is that part of us and I, I think that even something as simple as the way we might arrange pictures in our house taps into um, a deeper kind of deeper kind of systems about how we think about the world mm. and they're unconscious they're unconscious systems they're things that we you know have had with us since we were babies and um yeah so i can see that those that there are mm. those threads through the the two books even though they are very different and i mean if if i can come to tess i think um the so i wrote the invisible writer and it came out and you know it had some good reviews and you know, it wasn't like a mind-blowing success or anything like this. Yeah, it lived its life. It lived its life. And you got to promote it for a bit. Yeah, and yeah. And you probably still hear from people now and then that yeah. they liked it or they've just got to it or whatever. And, yeah. and, and maybe the other thing that will have happened is people that where Tess is the introduction, they'll go back to it. Yeah, yeah. You're but probably just starting to hear about a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. No, I am. But I think for me that... Um, and it's funny, I didn't realise this when I was writing Tess, but Tess feels like a way more personal book um, mm. for me. And and um, The Invisible Writer, I almost see as a kind of... Like, I have a lot of affection for that book, but I do think of it as more of a book as me... Or, it's me as a writer playing with craft. Yeah, it's an experiment. Yeah, but not just an experiment because I don't think it's that experimental. But it's well, it's a concoction. Me. It's a, yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas Tess, and so the thing, the the kind of emotional truth that I pull on in the Invisible Writer is is absolutely there in me, but it's not. I feel like with Tess, it's got a pound of my own flesh in ways that I didn't understand. I was putting into it when I was writing it. Because when I started writing Tess, I started writing it because I was so infuriated with the novel I was writing. Right. I wasn't getting anywhere. Yeah. That I suddenly went, oh, this is ridiculous. You just need to do something completely different. Right. I need to do something I know. And I thought, 
I know Masterton. I grew, I was a teenager in Masterton. I need to I need to think about you know I can, I can walk the streets of Masterton in my head. I do it in my dreams. You know um, I know that geography so well. So I was very very comfortable with that geography. Mm. So it's kind of easy for me as a writer to then suddenly create fiction in a in a but, landscape that yeah. I know. Yeah, it's like the kind of the theatre set is already built. And, mm, and, and mm. as a writer, you just have to turn up and walk around it. Well, actually, one one thing I wanted to mention when you were talking about the slipping into the sort of dream and dreamlike sequences, and 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 in, your, in both of those books, another parallel I I spotted was um, that you yeah they go off into these sort of fantasy sequences and explore the idea of dreams, but you've already painted the picture of of not only very real places but actual places. They are set in places any reader in New Zealand is going to know, mm. you know, know of, if not, mm. you know, you describe places that people have walked mm. past, streets that people live on, I, but then yeah. you take it into a sort of fantasy realm from there. Yeah, I think there are there are, there are are a couple of things that are really important for me in setting. Um, one, as a reader, I really like place, it doesn't need to be a, a, a massive part of the book, but I like it. I like to feel like it's concrete, mm -hmm. and it could be a made-up, you know, like um, Ursula Le Guin. I always feel like, even though, you know, say in the left hand of um, darkness, darkness, thank you. I was going to say the left hand side of it. <laughs> um, I, one of the things I love in that book is when the two characters walk across the um, ice landscape, mm -hmm. and and I mean, I know she based it on kind of Russian ice because mm -hmm. um, she describes the ice as being like frozen waves and even though it's like a kind of liminal no man's space you f you know you feel it mm -hmm. you feel like it's very truthful I don't like reading books where I feel like the writers set it in um, London and India and um, oh and then in New Zealand because um, I feel like unless they know those places really well and I feel like they've built them for me mm. as a reader I, I, I kind of wonder if they're just doing it so that they could maybe get a publishing deal in mm -hmm. London <laughs> yeah. and I know this because I have thought about doing it myself yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, for me as a writer then yeah. it doesn't work I, yeah. I need the support of knowing the space and how that space feels the weather yeah. um, how it feels to be in that in that place yeah so so for me um you know masterton i just know it i know what it feels like in every season because i i lived there from when i was 13 to when i was 17 yeah um and i spent a lot of time riding my bike around masterton because that's how we got around um and and because it's not that far away and it's on the path to other places you'd still go through it if yeah. i imagine even if you don't have reasons to actually go there you'd still yeah go yeah. through it and keep in touch with its changes yeah yeah you know, yeah no and so forth absolutely so um oh, i've lost track of where we where oh yeah so the so the other part about um geography yeah. specific geography is that i think even if you are playing with with um unrealistic elements in mm -hmm. a story it's it's very very important for your reader to have a solid grounding. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, an yeah. actual place an act that they get to cling to. Yeah, they, they see the characters clinging to. Yes. you know, or returning to. Yeah, I thought about reading. I um, mean, hearing you talk about this and seeing how purposeful that was, I sort of reading Tess. I thought the um, the setting, the place, played this really. Impo subtle but important element in not just plot but I guess you know in the pacing of it 
and and just in the like mm. yeah like that it was this kind of geographical anchor a grounding a, you know yeah, there's yeah. something about there's something about sort of i want to try and create like a clever writing mantra there that places pace or something like that but there was something in it for me that well maybe maybe for me in terms of writing it you know if i'm thinking about place and pace it's the season and it's like she arrives in town at the beginning it's mm. just the beginning of summer you know it's still cold in the evenings what's well, kind of like mm. You know, mm. early spring really and then and then it finishes on new year's day and i mean Macedon gets so hot it's mm. it's insanely hot and dry and um and so while the kind of tension and the narrative's building up so is the heat and the ground and Tess is um she works in the garden a lot so she's very aware of mm, what mm. the effect that that has mm. and i mean i know as a um i don't know if you remember like being a kid but in new zealand you know like christmas comes with summer and i remember that feeling of like and i still get it as an adult the nights are lighter and it's warmer and you're like mm. oh the holidays are coming and mm, mm. It, it, there is a kind of um internal kind of pacing start, and time starting to feel it just now yeah like, totally totally right at this moment and it, like the yeah the yeah. last few nights and it's yeah. sort of exciting yeah exciting and relieving because it's like it's like wow maybe there'll yeah. be a party on you know like, and also like yeah. I, I grew up in Hawke's Bay so just I quite often you know you talk about finishing on New Year's Day and I was thinking this reading the book I, I connected I pretty much go up to Hawke's Bay every year for Christmas and we drive back somewhere between Christmas and New Year's and we generally drive through Masterton. Mm. So I know exactly, like when you were talking about it, that, that kind of heat and mm. dryness mm. and also that, that kind of lovely rural New Zealand holiday emptiness where yeah. lots of people from that place have gone somewhere else. Yeah, And yeah. it's quite, you know, remarkably sort of chilled, almost silent. Yeah, I mean those places can be eerie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. The other thing about Masterton is it. Um, I f I did find it. Um, I, I mean, it was it was Holly Holly and Fergus who said, "Oh, it's like a gothic love story." Ever, and I was mm. like, "Oh, gothic? What? Okay." Um, and and I think that is that's the darkness of 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 those small towns and of Masterton. I mean, mm. there's a moment that when Tess um, in the in the beginning of Tess, there's a moment where she's on the street in the um, main street in Masterton, and um, she um, is kind of jumped on by a group of kind of young bogan guys, and um, I mean that's just kind of normal. And I really wanted to write that how she can see it coming, but it still happens. Um, there's this kind of vulnerability of a young woman and the menace of these young men who are bored and really have nothing better to do and it's okay to treat women like that and um, because that's what they've seen growing mm. up um, and I really wanted to put that experience as a young woman in, in living in a place like Masterton into the narrative so that's the kind of gothic eerie dark mm. side um but i'm not just saying it's inherent to masterton it's, it's everywhere <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. you know actually we, we had friends for dinner the other night and we were talking about how actually even in the 90s in wellington um you know if if you're out late at night it could feel really scary yeah, yeah. you know yeah that's changed in wellington i actually think i mean there's still kind of bad shit that happens but i don't think it is as kind of it doesn't feel as mean. Well, maybe I'm just actually not out like that. that like yeah, yeah, you're not, yeah, You don't have the <laughs> correct gauge. I don't know what I'm saying, actually. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I, I sort of know. I mean, you know, obviously my, my experience is obviously different for many reasons. But, yeah, I, I sort of, you know, I came to Wellington sort of over 20 years ago. And I feel like the, the tone of the town has changed a lot 
mm. in terms of late night stuff and, and mostly for the better. And day, day I'm sure there's more, you know, like there's all sorts of stuff that goes on around teenagers. <laughs> there it goes. Around teenagers want, you know, with drinking and all that sort of stuff. That's always going to happen. Yeah, but, yeah. But I just thought the actual walking the streets, you yeah. know, there isn't that air of menace that... No, that there used to be. That, that there used to be sometimes. Oh, I mean, I've always found it to be, in my experience, pretty pretty safe, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, like know, much safer around. than... Uh, yeah, yeah, much... Grey mouth or <laughs> yeah, or Hastings, or, or Hastings, or, yeah, know, or, or, or a lot of parts of Auckland for me when I was a, you know a student and I would go up there and visit, but that might have been a, a lack of familiarity as much as anything. But, yeah, but yeah. certainly places, a lot of small town places that you get to know quite well. Um, yeah, there's a there's something kind of mm. menacing about certain and, spots, and it's also in how like um, you know Lois, um, one of who's one of the main characters in TC, mm. has. Um, sort of troubled family history and of course the whole town knows what that is you know because it's a small mm, town and everyone knows yes. everyone else's business and yes. he's the dentist in town so everyone knows yeah. about the dentist and what happened to the dentist family and but there's a kind of repression in terms of you know um like the young the young guys you know sort of mention yeah refer to him having a gun and yeah, yeah. Well, should he actually be out with a gun and then he goes into the fish and chip shop with Tess and they're right like oh what's he doing with this young woman and yeah yeah you know like um but all of that's that that's that eavesdropping into the psyche thing that you do you know like that in the book that you know it yeah. doesn't and and that's where i think like that's one of the great strengths of it being a, a you know a slim volume in terms of you can you can hose through it reading wise it's not a big book but there's a lot packed into it. There's a lot of psychological stuff packed into it. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I think I'm just really interested in how people yeah. treat each other and why they act the way they do. You know, yeah, like yeah. any writer, really. Yeah, I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. But um, but there's um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of layers in this in this sort of small book. And I thought that um, I wondered if it felt to me a bit like young adult fiction that had been written for adults. Yeah, yeah, that's a really, it's a really interesting um, kind of um, market term to discuss the young yeah, adult thing, because yeah. I certainly didn't write it as a young adult no. novel, but... Um, but was it informed by... Well, well, it was informed by my experiences as a, as a you know, yeah, 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 young in that age, yeah. woman, and, and, and of course the protagonists are both, nine, the main kind of um, characters in it are, are 19, yeah. well, apart from Lois, who's middle-aged, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, so so automatically you kind of go, oh, okay, I'm reading about teenagers, and but it doesn't fit neatly into a YA kind of marketable no, book. No. So, but but one of my hopes is that people buy it for their mm. older teenage daughters and sons, and um, that they that that they kind of can connect with some of the pressures that the characters are under, and. Um, yeah, and that and and that I suppose you know like one of the other things, one of the really lovely things I've had is people my age saying, "Oh, you got to remember what that was like," you know, mm, and that's mm. that's for me that's the loveliest thing actually as a writer, is um, it's not the kind of people praising my technique or craft or whatever. It's the people who come up to me at events or or whatever and say, "Oh, that bit where you wrote about." dissociation after attack you know kind of um, mm. being attacked on the street I've never never seen anyone write like that before and I know that I know what that feels like and for me the most the, the most precious thing actually in terms of connecting with the audience is knowing that I have tapped into some emotional quality in yeah yeah yeah. Ha yeah having and and I think that extends beyond writing fiction but 
however anyone might want to experiment or 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 mess with a form or whatever any kind of writing and and therefore storytelling you know being told that your story resonates yeah right? that's number one basically yeah, really yeah. isn't it like yeah. you know there'd, there'd be other writers that are doing something far more sort of data or whatever that mm. then it's not not the case but having the you know i think it's the same with um you know something a bit more obscure obscure from that like improvised music there's mm. still a, there's still a journey that goes on there hopefully yeah and so you know i've been part of audiences watching improvised music where i've started off going what the fuck yeah it's yeah, happening. yeah yeah and by the end of it and that's i think what got me into it i think i felt that the first few times and yeah. some people don't last that long with it which is no. totally understandable yeah but if you've gone on that journey if you've felt some story some communication that you've watched on stage and that it's resonated yeah so well, just some yeah like i mean i've been to a lot of improvised mm. kind of gigs as well and um i yeah i love it when it goes somewhere and when you can actively there's a kind of palpable feeling of excitement mm-hmm. between the musicians and with the audience because because mm-hmm. it, it, it's like i think if, if those gigs work well they're taking that they're, they're translating that excitement to the yes. people there yeah there's yeah. two there's two actual distinct sets of communication going on yeah everyone on stage yeah and then what they how yeah. they communicate or mm. interact with the you know two sets of interactions going on isn't there mm, mm. i think more so well i suppose it's the same with non-improvised music too but certainly you 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 learn to look for it more when watching improvised music well that well you don't have anything else to hold on to it's not like That's you're waiting for the yeah, you're not waiting the for the yeah yeah exactly <laughs> oh here yeah. comes the chorus again yeah, you know yeah, it never yeah. actually arrives yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 um so tess has had pretty good reviews but one of the things that I noted about it, I mean, I tried to review it too, was is it has a pretty substantial, not quite or not just twist, but it has a shift in it that it's very important, I think, to sort of, you know, not reveal. Have you been upset in any of the discussions of the book where you think people have revealed too much? Um and not left it up to Oh yeah, I mean I to be honest, I'm not that precious about that stuff. Yeah. Um and I mean it's hard for me to talk about it and not yeah. talk about those moments as mm. well because mm. I, I don't want to like wreck it for the audience but at the same time I feel like I'm a bit kind of constrained in, in what I can say about yeah. the book because I can't give it away you don't want to wreck the plot I mean one of the things I kind of rely on is people's bad memories and I think well if I say something <laughs> yeah, yeah. they might not remember yeah, anyway until yeah, they yeah. get to the point in the book and they go yeah. oh I thought I thought you know yeah yeah hopefully they've <laughs> googled the latest Trump news yeah. a few times yeah. in between and that's yeah. Set them off down another path. Yeah. I, I yeah. you know, I mean, I guess, I, I mean, I, I mean, I love a good plot twist, but that's not why I read, um, mm-hmm. primarily. And, um, yeah, so to be honest, I don't, you know, I, I, I guess you don't want, you don't want a reviewer to tell the whole story. You want the reader to discover mm. something, but, um, but I, yeah, I, I'm not that precious about it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's mostly been, yeah, mostly been good reviews that it I've has. seen and well received, and you've done plenty of, um, readings and talks and yeah and i'm going to be doing literal yeah what are you, what are you gonna, yeah well this will come out just pretty much right on oh, cool, so i was yeah. going to say to you what are you doing for literal yeah so i'm involved in two um yeah. two literal events which i'm really excited about there's one with um called um a fashion one right there's a fashion one that's at um called dress me christine and that's being held at hunters and collectors and we're essentially taking bits of writing by the other writers reading them and then saying that what if this poem or this 
bit of prose was um, an outfit, what would it be? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that's so that's really fun and kind of kind of silly but great as mm, well. Like mm. I, because I love clothes and um, yeah, so I'm really excited about that one. And then the other one is one called Nuns. Angels, witches, sluts, and witches. Oh, that's right. Nuns, yeah. Angel, yeah. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's Elizabeth Knox, Mandy Hager, and me. And um, yeah, I guess we're talking about kind of difficult women because um, Tess does have a couple of difficult women in it, and yeah. um, difficult women writing them, and yeah. Yeah, in yeah. New Zealand literature, so yeah. Um, and because I had Andrew and Claire on the podcast recently, we talked through pretty much the entire program for Lit Crawl for this year and, and, and obviously the, the history of the of the event. And what are your feelings around Lit Crawl as a not just as someone directly involved with it in terms of I guess as a performer, mm. as a speaker, you know, what have you thought of it in past years mm. and Well um so I'm um I've been a huge supporter of it yeah. from the from the beginning and um yeah, I love it. I love the energy of it, and I love one one of the things I noticed right at the start was it was pulling in a much younger audience. Yeah. Um, it's entry by Koha, which um, you know, a part of me kind of goes, "Yep, that's great," but also maybe they should maybe they should start charging yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit more because I know they run it on such a kind of um, yeah. um, oily rag. Yeah. <laughs> But well, they um, kind of are the share in that they've got the state, the extended the kind of, sessions, yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, it's yeah. Kind of, I think sometimes it'd be hard asking people to pay money when things have been kind of yeah, it's like introducing free. a paywall. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But no, I love it. I think mm. the energy and the types of mm. audience that come along and the mix of writers you get, like it's really is from um, real like writers really really early on in their their career to um, more yeah. established writers and. I love that. I love because I think that the um, kind of more mainstream festivals they they can't. You have to have a book out for one to be in mm-hmm. a mainstream festival. It has to be recent, and um, so Lit Crawl can bring in those people who are just publishing online or in zines or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, that's I mean that's the future of writing. It's encouraging these young writers. Mm. You know, I mean as well as looking after the established writers and and those those you know those fantastic writers who've been doing it for years. But it's yeah, it's actually we need something to look after those young writers, and I think that Lit Crawl does it really well. And it's just a really exciting, fun night. Like mm. it's kind of stressful as well like oh my god am I going to fit into this pub where yeah, yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> yeah and where have I got to be next and what am I supposed yeah. to you know as both a, a person who's part of an event or just someone well actually the audience is massively part of the event yeah you know more so yeah. I think than another totally yeah it's not so I've much an us to. and them yeah, kind not of at thing all. it's like everyone's in it together there is this yeah. real energy yeah that comes off that it's yeah. about you know um a celebration just a celebration of yeah. the literary world all right you know totally all, all and it's not like formats. it's yeah. not like that kind of, kind of whole reverential is, the stuffiness oh, and, yeah yeah that, yeah you know i mean i yeah, yeah some, all of that's yeah <laughs> not quite entirely gone but it's heavily reduced yeah totally. yeah, yeah yeah and um yeah uh and also like you, you talked about you know people don't have to have a book out and or a book that's current you know i think it does great things for the sort of yeah the democratization of platforms because mm. you know again Ashley Young's a great example of obviously she's got two very good books out a great book of poetry and then this extraordinary book of essays but someone might actually find something even better that she's written just online you know yeah, her, no. her, her, her yeah. blog her, her sort of essays that appear in yeah. blog form are amazing oh, yeah. some of them are, you know got developed into things that are in the book and all of that but there's a, a lot else out there and it's the same for plenty of 
Right. Oh, there are, up, I mean, you know, and it gives, yeah. it gives people a chance to kind of, it's, it's not just a tagline and a, and a bio note, like, as it is at other festivals, yeah. it actually gets people to explore that aspect. I, I read at a, um, an event with um, Dinah Wicktill on um, Sunday, and her incredible back book, a memoir about her oh, father. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. yeah, oh my God. But what was really interesting was that's her first book, right? Mm, mm. And um, But she's been writing, obviously, in the yeah, Lister yeah. and various places for years, and there was, like, I felt like I was sitting next to a superstar. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I know what till I have, like, read your writing for years, and you're amazing, and, you know, and so, um, you know, and she's just got a book out, but it's, and there are plenty of journalists like that who are just yeah. doing incredible things on a daily basis mm. under tight deadlines, so to have a space for them, and who don't, don't necessarily have a book out, you know. And her book is, I imagine, I didn't read it, but obviously it is a sort of book that, um, being a, it's subject, you know, it's taken her this long to write it for many reasons. It's yeah. got all of her yeah. experience as as a writer and around her family history leading up to this moment. Yeah. For it to come out. But yeah, yeah. she's I mean, she's been one of the country's best writers for years, you know. Yeah, and and this <laughs> only just had a book yeah. out. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And and I think probably the perhaps the single best TV reviewer that I've ever read in New Zealand. And oh, was, yeah. Obviously she's done loads of other things. Her, her feature articles are great, but I remember for years reading The Listener purely for her TV columns. No, totally. And there, I mean, there are people like um, who, as someone was saying on Sunday, that they, they never watch TV, but they always read her columns. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. I've, you know, I'm not a, 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 a big t- well, not a big TV watcher in terms of the stuff that she would write about, but you got all you needed to know. From, yeah. And you, she was yeah, just entertaining just, and smart. Just an entertaining, smart writer. Yeah, yeah. But also you got, like, a kind of angle on whether you needed to bother with the stuff anyway, too. Yeah. Which is what that sort of writing is about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, yeah, so, lit, yeah, I mean, lit crawl, it's over in a flash, so you'll be busy with two events. Yeah, yeah, I um, I will be. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I think I'll be doing stuff in the Wellington Festival next year as well. Yeah. But I'm just really looking forward to summer and um, not... <laughs> not i'm gonna take all of january off <laughs> yeah not working and not, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 i was gonna say so what comes next so you yeah. yeah i mean i read a thing where you sort of and you said that tess is, it was as much a reaction to um something you were writing that you weren't pleased with that you put on hold so do you have a couple of things in the drawer that you might revisit at some point yeah. i do but do you, i i think that actually the next thing i write will be will be a non-fiction piece more about um more about my life yeah mm-hmm. um i don't i don't know whether i'll want to publish that but um that's kind of where i feel my writing's headed at the moment and that's kind of what's pulling on my imagination and desire to write the most um yeah and and as for that the, <laughs> the three other novels that are in various stages of not being of non-development yeah of non-development <laughs> who knows what will happen to them yeah. I mean I, I you know they're good they've been really great practice yeah anyway. yeah yeah, yeah. This so is nothing's ever lost yeah you know? yeah yeah particularly in this age but yeah yeah that's um like I used to I sort of told people uh, over the years like I used to before I published a single music review and then like the record reviews I started doing were only 135 words long you know wow, in, the, in the yeah. newspaper but before the reason I could do those straight away was because I um I, I for about a year I just wrote record reviews for myself 
Yeah. And I just stayed up at night listening to albums, yeah. and I would review like albums from the seventies. You know, and this <laughs> oh. was before there were like before there was sort of any kind of blog platform to to put that out in the world. It wasn't about putting it out into the world. It was practice. Practice. Just yeah. getting you know getting match yeah. fit. Like it was oh, something totally. I was interested totally. in. Yeah. And so you know, I totally understand that the idea that nothing's a waste. Yeah. You know, it might you might not want someone to see it. No. You know, that, that might not <laughs> that be what be it's about. It could be very embarrassing now. Unfortunately, those things I did were all handwritten and they didn't survive <laughs> multiple moves through flats. So even if I did want to have a colossal folder of them to one day look at, uh, they just ended up at, yeah. at, the, at the tip, which is good. But, you know, all of that's part of, yeah, whatever you go on to do, right? Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, it's all writing. And, yeah, yeah. writing practices is, is... Which I guess that's the other thing that probably comes from... Um, Things like the um, IIML as the concept of writing exercises, you know, like practice is another thing, that, or maybe not directly there, but yeah. write, you know, writing workshops in schools, that's one of the things that... Oh, you just have to, I mean, it's like anything you want to get good at, you just have to do it and do it and do it and do it and do it and, and um, yeah, I mean... It's, you know, not that I'm really into Malcolm Gladwell that much, but it is the 10,000 hours thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really, I totally... That's, that's, that's a key concept, you know. He probably yeah. borrowed that from someone. He tends to do that with yeah, he, stuff. Yeah, he does. But, um, he does, but yes. is that why you're not that into him? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tend to... Um, I mean, I think, like, popular kind of science writing is, is important because yeah. it introduces you to concepts, but I think... For myself, um, it's kind of I like to go to the source texts these yeah, days, yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, and I, um, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of why I, I, I think sometimes they kind of sometimes people like him draw a long bow as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. One one thing actually I wanted to ask you was whether you had any placed any importance on either for for just for interest sake or, or directly for influence. What you thought of podcasts? Do you follow things like narrative podcasts? Uh, you know, yeah. that, that seems to be particularly like crime, true crime and crime fiction. There's a lot of stuff in that world that people are pretty obsessed um, with. The only one I've listened to is Serial, which is what everyone's yeah. listened to, right? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, no, the podcasts, I love podcasts, um, but the podcasts that I listen to tend to be more non-fiction or um, like I really love the Wreath Lectures, the BBC4 Wreath yeah. Lectures. Um, Hilary Mantel and um, Grace Imperia are my favourite kind of ones they've done more recently. Um, book podcasts. So, um, yeah, so, so obviously work, but not just work. But well, it, you know, no, I mean, I, I, it has to be a kind of writer that I might yeah. not have heard of, but I'm interested in yeah. their voice, yeah. you know, like I like just hearing them talk. Um, yeah, so I, I don't tend to follow the more fiction kind of right. narrative stuff because yeah, yeah. I, read, I read a lot anyway, and yeah, I think yeah. for me, often listening to podcasts is about filling in, like I like philosophy and politics and history and so it's it's kind of filling in gaps in my knowledge in a way yeah oh, that's how I use yeah them. yeah yeah no no yeah. that's 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 ex almost exactly what I'm like with them I did I have listened to a couple of more crime ones post serial but I haven't actually you know all the ones people rave about like S-Town and there's one at the moment Dirty John I don't I haven't found those to be as great as the reviews have told me that they are I yeah, don't quite, but don't quite believe it. You know, yeah. I feel the. It's it, there is a there is that thing that happens where serial was such a, and I I wasn't even that big a fan of that, but th that was such a moment mm. in terms of validating a particular format that you know. Then everyone does a bandwagon. Yeah, swiftly arrives for everyone to jump on. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So I tend to you know I'm more interested in the 
yeah, interview conversation and yeah, but what what made me think of that was probably the thing I enjoy most about Malcolm Gladwell is his podcast. Oh, which, I've never listened to that. <laughs> so which, maybe which, I should. which you might not be interested in if you're not a fan, but I, yeah, I couldn't yeah. say I'm a massive fan of his. I mean, I get that he's he's written some good things and that he's clearly smart, but I, I find some of his methodology a bit dubious. But his podcast is pretty great. Mm. Yeah, so I'll you, you might take that.